Southern Company is an industry leader in resilience and innovation. They're making energy smarter and more sustainable for the nine million customers they serve across the country, from modernizing their infrastructure to setting a goal of net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Southern Company is committed to building a resilient energy future today and for the generations to come. Learn more at southerncompany.com/resilience. Southern Company building the future of energy. If if, if you go out to knock, <laughs> um, and you say like, "Hey, hello, hi, nerdcasters." Um, hi, I'm Miles Baker, and I'm Scott Bland. I'd like to talk to you. Have a minute. And I'm here volunteering for Barack Obama, and I'd like to have a conversation about that. A day in the life of a canvasser. Well, in the before times, he was not expecting visitors. Can you tell us what that was like? Let me try. <laughs>、um, what matters to you in this current race? I would love to keep chatting with you, but I、uh, gotta go talk to your neighbor now. <laughs> Many of you are familiar with this at your door. It's less of a welcome sound now, but let's turn it around. What's it like to be the knocker? But、uh, generally, the, the days are. Volunteers to organize beforehand. A lot of phone calls in the evening, cutting turf, count up your shifts for the day, confirmation calls. Volunteers to organize afterwards.、Uh, it all bleeds together a little bit. Today, the secrets. I carry a、uh, often, not every time. I like to carry a、um, golf ball. People hear my knock, and、uh, your knuckles don't get sore. It is the lows. Extremely long periods of tedium, punctuated. With the highs, moments of exhilaration, but the tedium is real, and it can last for days. <laughs> and the confessions. I often tell people I'm volunteering, which, for the vast majority of, is was usually not true. I was usually staff. When you let people know that you're volunteering your time for something you are passionate about, it is less. Uh, they're less likely to have a negative, a, a negative reaction. But、um, I, you know, knocking on doors is considered to be the gold standard of campaign tactics. And what happens when this thing that Miles really loves? Sometimes you can get lost in the conversation, and you stick around on the front porch or、uh, in their living room a little too long, and is suddenly way more dangerous to use than it's ever been. We know the Trump campaign is out there canvassing and bragging about a million doors knocked just recently. How coronavirus has exposed weaknesses in our current systems, and whether those election systems are going to recover or change into something else. First thing first,、uh, can you just introduce yourself? Yeah.、Um, hi, I'm Miles Baker. I'm the campaign's director at a consulting firm called The Action Factory. And I help organizations design campaigns、uh, for whatever they're trying to achieve, whether it's trying to pass a piece of legislation or get a candidate elected. And how did you come to this this point? How did you start out in the industry? Like, what's what's kind of been your journey to to now? I started out like a lot of people start out on the Democratic side of politics、uh, as a field organizer. I started, you know, calling volunteers and asking them to knock doors and knocking a lot of doors myself. Uh, but but just, like, just in terms of the experience, are you kind of missing it right now? Yeah, absolutely. I love volunteering to knock on doors. I love working with organizations to build canvassing operations. I think they are a really fun way、uh, to execute a campaign. 
how is coronavirus like totally changing that part of of a political strategy of of what I guess what used to be a typical political strategy? I mean, it's 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 pretty profound, right? Um, certainly, there are some people who are not changing course. I was reading about how the Trump campaign is bragging about knocking a million doors. Uh, that's not a decision that most campaigns and most organizations are making right now. Most campaigns and most organizations are choosing to forego the person-to-person, the direct voter contact, the putting people in front of other people portion of a campaign, which, you know, for a lot of campaigns is one of the go-to tactics. It is sort of one of the first tactics that people are deploying, uh, and it can make up a really robust part of the campaign budget, the campaign strategy. It's sort of off the table, which makes, I think has been, is revealing itself to be disruptive, but it's forcing some campaigns and some organizations to reevaluate how they go about the business that they're in. I think generally the Democratic campaigns in the past have uh, fetishized door knocking. They have deployed canvassing operations when it was not the correct tactic. It is often the correct tactic. It is particularly a good tactic in low salience races. It's particularly a good tactic in smaller jurisdictions, but scaling a canvassing operation to the point where it can impact a federal race or even a state Senate race is an extraordinarily expensive and complicated affair to pull off. And it is not often the right tool for the job at the price point that it costs. And the amount of human time it takes, you know, you're asking lots and lots of people to give a lot of time when that time could be used in other directions. So there is this, uh, you know, for all the tragedy of the coronavirus, and there's a lot of downsides for what it's doing to campaigns. One of the upsides is it's causing people to rethink their tactics and it's causing them to have to innovate scalable approaches to campaigning that I think in a lot of instances, they just would have deployed door knocking if this hadn't happened. Do you feel like because... Obama's campaign did it at such scale in 2007 and 2008. It trained a generation of organizers and political operatives to see it as this silver bullet. Yeah, I certainly don't want to blame the Obama campaign on that. But you did have an extraordinary alumni network coming out of the Obama campaign and Kerry and um, the campaigns afterwards where there was a premium put on uh, door-to-door canvassing. It was exalted above all other tactics. And part of that was to get volunteers bought in. And so it was important to communicate about because uh, it's hard work, it was important to communicate how important that work was. Um, but then you saw uh, in the campaigns after that, uh, people sort of starting with d- door knocking as the strategy. I think that was, I think, I think people saw it work so successfully during the first Obama campaign that then they tried to replicate it in so many ways that it was not something that was available to them. Uh, I can't tell you how many congressional races I've either been a volunteer or a consultant or a friend of where uh, they try to scale. Fed- a federal a congressional race is really big, right? Like you have, to, you have to knock hundreds of thousands of doors to have a sizable impact on a congressional race to fundamentally change what's going to happen with that electorate. And that's so hard to do on a congressional budget. It's just very rare. It has to be a very high-profile race. Uh, and, but you, you see, like, time and time again, uh, door knocking elevated to this uh, one of the most important tactics when really, like, I, it, it seems like they should be focused on almost everything but. <laughs> 
For over 100 years, Southern Company has been providing the resilient energy solutions their customers and communities count on, no matter what. They're committed to building a brighter tomorrow and improving their customers' quality of life. By setting a goal of net zero carbon emissions and investing in local communities, learn more about why Southern Company believes resilient people make resilience possible at southerncompany.com slash resilience. Southern Company, building the future of energy. You know, there's been a lot of research money and effort poured into kind of a a collective decision that canvassing, door-to-door campaigning, these face-to-face conversations are are the the most effective types of conversations you can have to to try and build support. It is, uh, yeah, knocking on doors is one of the most measured, one of the most evaluated tactics in all of politics, and it's a really sturdy one, especially when we're talking about trying to turn out more voters. If you're trying to increase base turnout, um, door-to-door canvassing is just like the gold standard for how to do that. Uh, or at least it has been. But, you know, that being said, it's making campaigns and organizations confront a, a, a pretty big question that, you know, I think a lot of people think they should have confronted even if there wasn't a global pandemic that was forcing people to make this decision. One of the drawbacks on canvassing, even if we're not dealing with a pandemic, is that it's really effective. It's really effective in low salience races. It's really effective in smaller jurisdictions. But they're incredibly hard operations to scale. Uh, they're incredibly challenging to reach the number of voters you need to reach in, say, a state Senate race or anything at the federal level. And so I think you're having to you're seeing campaigns and organizations grapple with this question and you're and you're seeing some people really rise to the occasion, you know, uh, wholesale converting to more online communications, texting, um, some other scalable tactics. And you're see- but you're also seeing some organizations and some some campaigns really struggling with the really struggling with the problem. And I think uh, the ones who answer this question and make a plan and stick with it are going to be successful. And the ones who the ones who don't answer this question are going to have a really hard time. <laughs> yeah. So what like what what does making a plan for this look like, or or what are what are you seeing? What are people starting to do to make a plan for this? They're doing a lot of different things. Some people are trying to find new ways to do voter contact. So uh, relational voting is very in vogue, where organizers are organizing volunteers to contact their friends and family and their network. I think there's a there's still a big question mark on how effective that's going to be. That's not as there's that's not as researched as as door to door canvassing, uh, and whether you can scale it is a question mark in my mind. Um, people are moving over to texting. Uh, we've seen upticks in people answering their phones. I guess people are home, and so phones are coming uh, back into fashion. And some of the initial data on like people actually answering the phones, which was has been declining for years, um, is is now they're starting to answer them. Uh, so they're moving back to some of that type of canvassing and that type of voter contact. But I think the the people who are being particularly successful and who are who are adapting in more profound ways. Are, are focusing less on the voter contact and moving back into the space of trying to generate media, whether it's through social platforms or getting comfortable fast because they didn't have another option with doing traditional media, uh, trying to do press hits and TV hits and getting on local, local television stations and local radio, drawing attention to themselves through, you know, local mass media. This year would have been a particularly interesting Well, potentially. I mean, I'm curious what you think about this, but it strikes me that this year might have been a particularly interesting year to have 
the a lot of these in-person conversations going on because so many more people than usual are going to be voting by mail. And I remember in in 2014, actually, um, I was I was reporting on the the Senate race that year uh, between Cory Gardner and Mark Udall. And a few weeks before the election, I went out and I was out with some canvassers and I was talking to people about how uh, since this was the first year that Colorado was doing this universal uh, mail vote thing that that they now have done since then, that uh, one person described it to me as a, a chance to basically walk into the voting booth with the voter because everyone had received their ballots. And, and so, you know, you knock on their door and they might have the ballot sitting on their kitchen table while you're talking to them. Now, obviously, the reason more people are going to be voting by mail this time is because there's coronavirus, which is why uh, maybe canvassing isn't as good an idea as it usually is. But lo- losing kind of that that opportunity, certainly, I- I'm sure there are some researchers who, who are uh, upset about it. But I, I you know, I'm, I'm guessing that that some campaigns in in some of those vote by mail states feel feel that that sort of thing uh, can be really helpful. Yeah, in a in a vote by mail environment, um, canvassing could had would have the potential to be very very effective. Even answering not not just persuading people uh, of a candidate or a cause, but to explain to people the mechanics of it. Right? There's a lot of new voting systems uh, in the state that I'm familiar with in Michigan. There's a lot of people voting absentee for the very first time, and having someone st- swing by the house, knock on the door. And answer any questions people might have, like where's the drop box, what's the clerk's hours, how do I get this back in, um, could be really, really useful if it was happening, right? The other thing I would say is that there's other ways to there's other ways to get the point across. For for a fraction of the cost, you can communicate that information online um, to a lot of people. This has been around. This has been around forever, but it, it seems to me like it really gained prominence and acceptance as like a central potentially vote moving tactic in the like early 2000s there was like a lot of groundbreaking research around this right uh yeah there's there's a ton of research that's the that's the one thing that's why it's a go-to staple of campaigns is you have measurable treatment effects in door-to-door canvassing when they do in-program experiments to measure persuasion door-to-door canvassing frequently not all the time but frequently will show a persuasive effect and when they measure uh, in randomized controlled experiments after election day, who voted and who did not, the people whose doors got knocked on were more likely to vote. Uh, it's just like, uh, and and there was a, there's been a ton of research, there's ongoing research on it. But at any rate, the thing I guess I would want to dig into on the um, on the research of this is we're going to get a bunch of new rounds of research after this election, right? People are going to be testing more because they can't test canvassing, uh, or at least there's not a ton of canvassing going on. This sort of all the people doing experiments are going to learn things about texting, are going to learn things about digital advertising, we're going to learn things about all these new tactics that people have deployed or sort of differently scaled tactics that people are deploying this cycle. And I think the thing that I'm going to be really interested in and the thing that is going to be what I spend my Q1 of next year reading about is did we have a different outcome because of people choosing not to invest in scaling their canvassing programs, but choosing to invest in scaling their digital advertising or scaling their sort of uh, lower touch through texting and phones, scaling their canvassing operations, uh, but not door-to-door canvassing. And I, I don't know I don't know what we're going to find out. I, I have a sneaky suspicion we are going to learn some things that 
make us reflect on the last 15 years of investing extraordinary proportions of campaign budgets in door-to-door operations. And maybe we shouldn't have invested that much in those door-to-door operations. That's what I think we'll learn, but we we will see. The, I think the, the it's still a question mark. Well, that, that's, a, that's a really interesting point because you, you get to, you know, you just said 15 years or so, right? And you get to a point where now kind of the people who are in line to be running the major campaigns, running the major party organizations, stuff like that, have been steeped in this culture. And I wonder if a situation like this where, you know, the pandemic has forced like a total rethink of this particular thing, you know, maybe in 15 years, we're going to be talking about the people running campaigns doing something completely different that they might never have happened or they might never have imagined because they were forced to consider it in 2020 and found out, hey, maybe this works. I hope, you know, if one thing does come out of this, that, that is, it is a lesson learned. I, you know, I think we watched, a lot of us watched in 2016, as Donald Trump dominated earned media day in and day out all summer. Uh, and, and I just, I reflect on so many campaigns on my side of the aisle where talking to the press was reserved for a very small amount of people in the campaign. And sort of, it was not necessarily a central um, component of the campaign, like going out and getting earned media. Um, and I think we got our lunch ate on that a few times before we've learned the lesson. And if, 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 if democratic campaigns and advocacy organizations learn one thing this cycle as they're, fig- as they're deploying new tactics, my hope is that they would get more comfortable with getting more people involved in the earned media process, deploying volunteers to do earned media events, setting staff up for success to be um, visible and communicating correctly on uh, their social platforms uh, and basically going out and, and just getting more comfortable with deploying those, deploying staff resources and volunteer resources in the media space and the social space as opposed to, to, to reserving sort of that for a small group of people while everyone else canvases. Miles, thanks for talking us through all that. Yeah, no, thank you. It was uh, it was a pleasure to have a conversation today, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me. All right, that's our show. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, do us a favor and leave a review. It helps new listeners find the show. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much for listening. I was a college student, and we rented a van in Marquette, Michigan, and we drove to Dubuque, Iowa, um, about 10 of us, and we stayed in... Where did we stay? It was like a... It was not... Doesn't matter. Um, We we, we drove in a van to Dubuque, Iowa, and we knocked all weekend... Um, and it was below zero the entire time, and the wind was whipping, and one woman gave me gloves. I remember I lost one of my gloves, and I knocked on the door, and I'm like, I'm here for Barack Obama, and she was like, I haven't decided yet, but you should take these gloves, because your hands look cold. (laughs) 